I saw water pouring out from the temple. I was led through water that was ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, then a river over my head, water to swim in. Wherever the river flows, life will flourish. The river is turning the salt sea into fresh water. The sea will teem with fish of all kinds. The trees on both banks will bear fresh fruit because the river from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Welcome to Liquid. I'm Pastor Tim. Let's welcome all our campuses who are with us today. What's up, guys? Great to see you all. Glad you're with us. Hey, so fun to meet uh, so many of you and your families uh, this week at Barnes & Noble. If you came out to some of our book signings, we had Union County was like, they just like took over the whole, uh, the whole bookstore. We have some pictures uh, from this. This is Mountainside in Garwood. I got to hang with some of the OGs, original gangsters from uh, Essex County. Uh, Mon, Essex, yeah, they're loud, man. You just know when Essex County is there uh, in Monmouth. But uh, the best part of that, just getting out to connect and catch up with so many of you, is just even a chance to pray together. Um, that's the kind, if you're new to our church, that's the kind of church family we are. We're pretty tight, and uh, we're just kind of celebrating right now this season. We're, we're, we're celebrating the release of our story, uh, Liquid Church, Six Powerful Currents to Saturate Your City for Christ, which is all about reaching spiritually thirsty people uh, with the living water of Jesus. We really feel like church should be refreshing, and uh, it's based on a biblical passage in Ezekiel chapter 47, where this Old Testament prophet sees the temple, and it's leaking water. And we're like, it's kind of like a liquid church. And here's what he says. He says, in my vision, uh, the angel brought me back to the entrance of the temple. And there I saw a stream flowing, which way, church? East, east the, towards the, the sinners where the enemies of God live, from beneath the door of the temple. And he's like, well, this is really weird. A church that's leaking water, this liquid church. And so he goes outside and he takes three steps into it. The first step is up to his ankles. You guys remember this? Everyone say ankles. Then he goes 1,750 feet, and it's up to his knees. Then he goes another 1,750 it's up to his waist. So watch this. A tiny trickle in the church, as it leaves the church, gets deeper and deeper. It becomes this raging river. In other words, the farther it flows, the deeper it grows. And so Ezekiel realizes, man, this is not ordinary tap water. This is living water. This is the Holy Spirit bringing to life whatever it touches. It's the river of God saturating everything in its path. And that's the picture of how the church is going to be in New Testament times. It's going to go out into the city and saturate uh, very dry and barren places with the love of Christ, the compassion of God, with renewal. And so it's a, a prophecy, it's a prediction in the Old Testament about what the New Testament church is supposed to be like flowing in the power of the Holy Spirit towards thirsty people. Now, notice everything in Ezekiel that this water touches comes to life. So you have even the Dead Sea, all of a sudden it gurgles and churgles and then it's, you know, fresh and pure. Uh, all of a sudden there's fish swimming in the Dead Sea where nothing lived. These fruit trees grow up on the, the riverbanks and that's what the Holy Spirit produces in the life of Christ followers. Life, fruit, and healing. And Ezekiel 47 says this, what life will flourish wherever this water flows. Now think about this. In the Old Testament, the presence of God was thought to be located in one place, the temple. But we're told in the New Testament, there's no temple anymore. There's the church. In other words, you are the temple of God where the Holy Spirit lives. That means that God wants to pour his Holy Spirit, his living water, out of you to reach your thirsty friends and neighbors. A spiritually thirsty people who have given up on church, but maybe haven't given up on God. Uh, that is, uh, when we say, you know, people who are far from God, doesn't mean that they don't have a soul, doesn't mean that they're not interested. It means that they're like, well, why would I go to church? They think you're weird for being here today. They're like, wait, why, why would you spend so much time in a boring, you know, dry place? It's all about judgment. And the reality is they're open to God, and you probably know them from work or school or the gym. They're, they're spiritual but not religious. And so we challenge you to write down the names 
of three thirsty people in your life who don't know Jesus yet. But the Holy Spirit wants to flow through you to bring them the living water. Because this series is all about sharing the love of Jesus. It's about personal evangelism. Remember, think about this. Think about your thirsty friends. You may be the only Bible they ever read. Think about that. Like they may never actually open the Bible. They may actually read your life because you claim to have Christ inside. So what story is your life telling? Here at Liquid, we said our story is really made up of six powerful currents that we see the Holy Spirit using to reach thirsty people. Uh, we're diving deeper into each one, and last week we said it, it spells liquid, L-I-Q-U-I-D. L stands for love the overlooked. By the way, how great was Grady and all of his friends last week? Was that awesome? Just seeing the heart of the special needs ministry. To me, it reminds us that uh, those who we think the world overlooks are actually closest to the heart of Christ. Uh, it was kind of funny. I had a manly man kind of after the service, guy who comes up, usually I shake hands after the service, and he, uh, he uh, usually gives me one of those like death grips just to like sort of dominate you, like, oh, you know, kind of thing. And he comes up, he goes, Pastor Tim, why didn't you tell me this was a six tissue Sunday? You know, he's like crying, you know, kind of thing. It was very, very powerful. But on page 13, of, uh, we challenged you. We said, you know what? We have a heart for special needs because Jesus does as well. Is there someone with a special need who's overlooked in your sphere of influence? Who might God be calling you to befriend, serve, or bless lavishly? Take steps to reach out to them. So we want you to write their name down. But after that, uh, Jesus calls his disciples to say, L, love the overlooked. Today, we're going to talk about I. I stands for ignite their imagination. Now, in your small group this week, we're going to actually teach you how to share your testimony. Testimony is kind of just a fancy word for God's story. Everybody has a God story. If you're a follower of Christ, it, it, doesn't, it, has to be, it doesn't have to be like long or, 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 or fancy. It's typically three parts, right? It's like, hey, here's my life before I met Christ. This is how I was living. But then this is how I came to encounter Jesus personally. Notice that he said, I didn't go to church and got religious. I started a relationship with Jesus, and he speaks to me as Holy Spirit. I'm aware of who God is. I'm growing in intimacy with him. And now this is my life after Christ. This is how things have changed or are changing. God's transforming me from the inside out. We're going to teach you to share your God story. We're actually going to teach you how to write it out in, in this week in your small group. And then the idea is you're going to be prepared because at some point God's going to open this opportunity for you to share your story with your three thirsty friends. Remember, we're just building a bridge from your heart to their heart that Jesus can walk across. Now, today I'm going to share with you a little bit about my secret sauce as a communicator. I talk about this in the, in, in the book, uh, you know, how I kind of, it's not new to me, I just basically use Jesus's ancient teaching style, the way that he taught people about God by using scripture, uh, symbols, and he told stories. And so today, I want to kind of ignite your imagination and model this for you by um, retelling to you one of Jesus's most well-known stories in Luke chapter 15. It is the story of the lost son. Now, this is one that even casual people who maybe haven't even gone to church, like, oh, I think I know this story. Um, this has been called the greatest short story of all time by Ralph Waldo Emerson, a lot of literary greats. They said, like, nobody told a short story with this many twists like Jesus did. And there's a reason Jesus told stories. It's because he didn't just want to connect to the head, makes sense, but to the heart. And he told these incredible, rich stories that drew people in. People who were far from God, but also church people who thought they were close to God. And oftentimes they had a twist or a surprise in them. And this is going to have about five twists in this story because he wanted to wake them up so they could experience God's grace in like a fresh way. So this story that uh, you see here is often called the parable. You guys know what a parable is? It's just a short story that contains a spiritual truth about the prodigal son. You know what prodigal means? It means what a waste. Man, she's prodigal with her money. She's just like wasted. She throws it away. And you've likely heard this story before. If you don't know it, I can just sum it up pretty quickly. Uh, basically, a millennial steals his dad's money. <laughs> okay? Uh, they, I'm serious. This kid takes the family fortune, and he flies to Vegas, and he squanders it all on prostitutes, on strippers, on gambling, on drugs. So, I tell you, you should read the Bible, man. I'm telling you, this is like, if you look at verse 11, Jesus said, here's what he said. He said, there was a man who had two sons. And he says, the younger one said to his father, Father, 
Give me my share of the what? Of the estate. So this is a wealthy family. They had a business, so they had some, some wealth. And basically he was saying, now, Dad, I want my inheritance. Now think about this. When do you typically get your inheritance? When your parents die. So he's basically walking up to his dad and saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Think about this. This kid, you know, maybe in probably late teens here in the Middle East because it's first century, be equivalent of like a 20-something, kind of a boomerang child. Anybody have like the kid come back after college or living in your basement, but they know it all, you know, kind of thing? And he basically walks up and he's like, you know what? Forget the family business. I'm done with this. I'm done with the house rules. I don't actually want to inherit the family business. I want to cash out. I want my money right now. So, Dad, I wish you were dead. Now, think about that. And this is not only rude, this is deeply hurtful, right? This is disrespectful. But in Jesus' day, first century, his audience would have been like, oh, terrible. Because the whole first century culture was based on honor and shame system. Now, there's the whole goal of your life was to honor your parents and bring glory to your family name. But this is the source of deepest shame. This young, insolent, snot-nosed kid, this black sheep of the family, he basically gives his father the finger, and he's like, I want nothing to do with the family. Give me my money. I'm out of here. I'm going to Vegas, baby, okay? So what's cra- So the people listening are like, what? That's terrible, man. I hope the dad gave him a beatdown. He doesn't. Jesus says the dad divided his property between them. Wait, what? So the dad funds his rebellion? Yeah, look what happens next. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. That literally means to liquidate. He said, I want cash. And he set off for a what? A distant country. So he gets on JetBlue. He's like, I'm going to Vegas. And there he squandered his wealth in what? Wild, everyone say wild living. He's like, I'm going to fire festival, bro. Uh, I'm going to Burning Man. Okay, man. You know, I like to I joke about Vegas, but there's a reason they call it Sin City, right? Like, it's a town that, that is notorious. Anything goes, right? They even have a saying, right? What happens in Vegas stays. Some of you have been there. I can tell. I see it. He's like, that's where I'm going. I don't want to stay in my father's house anymore. I want freedom. I, I, want, to, I want to live. I don't want these rules and these responsibilities. It's time to part. It's time to live it up. And so think about this, right? So the black sheep, he lands there. He goes out to all the clubs. He's snorting coke. He's partying with the prostitutes. The, the story Jesus tells, he even eats with the pigs at one point. And I'm kind of telling it, you know, a little bit funny, but this is not like ha-ha funny like the Hangover movie, okay? This is like humiliating. Because not only did he bring shame to his family's name, he loses the family's whole fortune. Jesus says he squandered his wealth in wild living. And, you know, we all know people who've done this, right? We all have friends, maybe from high school or something like that. Grew up in the suburbs, and their parents loved them, cared for them, you know, gave them everything they ever wanted. But then when they, you know, grew up, they said, you know what, this isn't for me, man. I'm out here. I'm going to the big city. I'm moving to Hoboken, okay? <laughs> or Brooklyn, all right, whatever. In my 20s, that's where my friends were all about. It was all about we're going to hit the bars, pick up women, basically in full flight from the things of God. And what's crazy is the Father gives him the freedom to do it. And people will be like, what? Notice what Jesus is saying. Your heavenly father never forces any of his children to stay in his house. He lets each of us choose our own path, even if it has tragic consequences. Because the party always ends, doesn't it? How many of you know that? The party always ends. I mean, sin is fun, all right, for a while. Sin, let me just say that. Tell you something preachers don't typically say. Sin is fun. There, I said it. This is why people sin. It is, now, before you tweet that, just let me finish. Okay, let me finish. Sin is fun for a season. But then the bill always comes due, always. The weekend drinking turns into this uh, full-blown addiction that, that wrecks the, the marriage or the relationship or your life. The casual hookups lead to, you know, whatever, STDs or, or just kind of compulsive sex that, you know, you want to connect and, and like it fuels your life for a little bit, but it leaves you feeling hollowed out and lonelier than ever. And then watch, when the money runs out, that's when friends bail out and you're like left all alone. Jesus says in verse 14, after he'd spent everything, 
There was a severe famine in that whole country, basically a recession. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, probably a Gentile, probably not a Jew, because it says he sent him to his fields to what? Say it together, church. Feed pigs. So watch that. He's coming from the lap of luxury, and now he's living in the pig pen. And Jesus says he longed, he wished he could fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But he didn't even get that. No one gave him anything. And so this, guys, is rock bottom. This guy goes from the lap of luxury to the pig pen, and Jesus is kind of tweaking his audience here. Because he's like, imagine a Jewish boy eating with pigs. What is the one meat a good Jew is supposed to avoid? Pork. <laughs> so this is Jesus' way of saying, this kid hit rock bottom. He is dumpster diving. He's eating out of a garbage can. Good story so far, right? Like there's like lots of tension and drama. And again, his Jewish audience, we can't imagine this. They would have been like, oh, first he shames the father, then prostitutes, then eating with the pigs. They're like, oh, 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 right? And then half of them would have been like, serves him right. That's what he deserves. But watch what happens. Get ready for twist number three. It wakes the kid up spiritually. Here's the big twist. As he sits on the curb in the Hoboken haze, <laughs> he thinks about, maybe I should go home. Verse 17, Jesus says, when he came to his senses, the word for that is repent. Everyone say, repent, repent. In other words, I wake up. What's happened to my life? I'm honest about the situation, and I'm thinking of going a new direction. He said, how many of my father's hired men, so we know they're wealthy, they've got servants, have food to spare? Yet here I am, what? Starving to death. And he says, I know what I'll do. I'll set out and I'll go back to my father. And what am I going to say to him? I mean, he's going to be so angry. I'll say, um, he's religious, so I'll say something. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. In fact, the Greek for this is I've sinned into heaven. In other words, his life stunk to high heaven. Notorious, world-class sinner. And he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. I know he won't take me back as the son and the heir, but if I could just be a servant in his house, maybe I could pay him back. You know, I remember one time when I was in my 20s, I wasn't walking closely with God at the time. I had just finished college, still living at home, wasn't really going to church, and I got back together with some of my high school friends, you know, kind of knuckleheads, you know, and, uh, and they're like, yeah, yeah, let's go to the city of Friday night, you know, and we, we went to a couple clubs, you know, we, we had drinks. I'll just be honest, we had too much to drink, got kind of lit up, was drunk, and we, we missed the train home, okay? And this is before Uber, okay? <laughs> so we're in Penn Station, and we're at 3 a.m., and we panicked because we missed the last train back to Jersey, and I lost my wallet, okay? Yeah, so my buddy had no cash, so catch this, we had to call home collect. <laughs> Who remembers collect calls? Anybody remember this, all right? Okay, kids, you ask your parents, all right? This is before Uber. There's no cell phones. And he's like, well, you know, what, I go, I'm going to call my dad. You know, he's like, well, I could call my dad, but what am I, what am I supposed to tell him? He's like, Tim, what am I going to say? Like, hey, dad, I know it's, you know, four hours past curfew, and, uh, but we have no money. And uh, I know we smell like, you know, smoke and, and, and beer, and mom's probably worried sick, but hey, can you come pick us up? And I was like, yeah, that sounds perfect. Like, you, why not? That's excellent. You, He's like, that's not going to work. My father's like a rageaholic. He's going to be so angry. He's going to be furious. And so we started rehearsing what we were going to say. That's what's happening here in Luke 15. The lost son doesn't just lose his wallet. He squanders the family's whole fortune. Basically, he gave his father the finger, burned his money in a pile, and he's like, how can I face him? How mad is dad going to be? I can't go back. He thinks his dad's going to be furious. He's like, so father, I've sinned against you and God. I, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. And you know what? That's how spiritually thirsty people feel about God. When they make poor choices, when they mess up more royally, when they make mistakes, they think, well, the last place I'm going to go is the church. I ain't going to the father's house. 
One, because I know God's angry with me. And two, I'm going to get judged by the rest of the family. That's how spiritually thirsty people think. But in the story Jesus tells, there's a fourth twist. Verse 20 says, the son got up and went back to his father. But while he was still, what, a long way off, his father, what? His father saw him, which means the dad has not been home sharpening the knives. He's been looking out the window the whole time. Maybe this is the day. Maybe today my son comes home. He's scanning her, the horizon. And people are like, wait, what? Jesus' audience would have been like, what? Jesus is trying to show what God the Father's heart is like for lost people. That he is not angry, but watch this. His father saw him and was filled with what, church? Compassion for him. And this is when the audience went like, what? No way. In this surprise twist, the father isn't waiting with a clenched fist. He's got open arms for his prodigal son. He has compassion, not condemnation. And it says, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. My boy's back. And people have been like, terrible story. (laughs) Terrible. What kind of message is that going to send? And Jesus is like, what is the primary posture of God the Father towards sons and daughters who turn their back on the faith, who walk away from God? His heart is full of joy, not judgment. Now, I wish that's how my friend's dad responded. (laughs) It was actually his mom accepted the collect call, okay? And she came to get us, and we drove home in silence. I was grinding for eight weeks, and I, I deserved it. I needed it. Like, I was an idiot at this time in my life, and I needed more truth than grace in my life. But what does the father do in Jesus' story? He looks past his son's surface sin, And he sees this humility in his heart. And then he does something scandalous. The dad is like, put on some Drake. We're going to throw a party in this house. It says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened cow and kill it. Everyone say, kill the cow. Kill the cow. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Now, I want you to imagine how outrageous this is. Imagine if I told you my friend's father drove to the city and said, you boys, here's the keys to the car. You look tired. Let me treat you to breakfast, and then I'll take you shopping. (laughs) What? Like, talk about a parenting fail. What kind of message is this going to send? Everybody listening to Jesus is like, this is a terrible story. This is terrible parenting. This father is a bigger fool than his son is. Let's have a party for him. Yes, says daddy. Turn on the music. Kill the cow. We're going to have a barbecue in the backyard. (laughs) For this son of mine, he says, was dead. Did you know they would have had a funeral for him? When he left and he disgraced his father in front of the whole village, they actually would have had a mock funeral to say he was dead to the family. He was lost and he is found. And says, so they began to, what's the word? Celebrate. Instead of killing his son for his sin, he kills a cow instead. And this is fascinating. In Bible times, each family would have a special cow, one cow that they fed a special diet to fatten it up. It's like Kobe beef. You ever like go out and they're like, they try to upsell you at a restaurant. Like, well, we got their normal burger, but we got the Kobe beef burger. This is the one that we like been, you know, grain feeding it and fatten it up with grass and everything. So in Jesus's day, it was known in the village. If you were going to have a house party and you really want to be like, man, we're going to kick this party up a notch. We're going to kill the cow. So Jesus is trying to illustrate like how over the top joyful God feels. When a man or woman returns home to his love, he actually says, I tell you, Jesus says, I'm just telling you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over how many sinners? One sinner who repents. One person comes home to God, heaven throws a party. When people who have morally messed up repent and return home, there's a party in heaven. Kill the cow, she's come home. And this would have shocked Jesus' audience. Because they assumed God was angry and that kid deserves punishment, not a party. 
Now, for some of you, you're like, yeah, but I've heard this. I've been in church a while, Tim. See, the scandal of this we miss because of our familiarity. So I was like, how can we really understand how outrageous this grace is? And I was like, how can we illustrate this? I talked to our creative team this week, and I was like, what if we bring a cow on stage? <laughs> and they're like, it's doable. They're like, what are you going to do with it? I was like, kill it. Like, we're going to sell you that. <laughs> they're like, that's too messy. And you're going to get angry emails from the vegans. So just don't do it, all right? So I was like, okay, all right. So we were like, we're brainstorming. Like, well, what else is rich? What else is decadent? What is highly fattening? You know, I was like, we need some party food to wake the yo, church up. Yo, yo, Pastor Tim! Did someone say party? Yo, who needs a fatty calf, my man? When we got Krispy Kreme donuts. Krispy Kreme donuts? Who wants a donut? Right there. Church service, get out of here! Get, get, get! <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> this is, this is the house of God, you people. Krispy Kreme. The Cadillac, the fat cow of donuts. This ain't no Dunkin' Donuts, people. It's opened up on Route 22. We're like, we're going to order 3,000 donuts and have a party in the Father's house. Now, I just want to acknowledge, I know some of you, you're like, my tithe paid for those donuts. And I didn't even receive one. Who didn't get one? Who's right now judging you didn't get Here you go. Here's... Here. Here's a lightly. Oh! <laughs> I just fooled around. I just fooled around. I'll leave it up here. Come on up after. All right. Guys, Jesus' audience would have felt that way. They'd be like, what? This is outrageous. It says there was music and dancing in the Father's house. And they began to celebrate. And all the religious people be like, what? The black sheep comes home, you have party rock anthem, this is an outrage. They could not believe it. A son blows his father's fortune on pigs and prostitutes. He comes home, his hat is in his hand, and God throws a party? Yes, it's called grace. The radical, scandalous love of God for thirsty people. And daddy loves Krispy Kremes. I know this may seem silly, but listen. The, 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 guys, this reveals something stunning about God's heart for lost and broken people. Guys, this is how your father in heaven feels about any man or woman who repents. That means they turn around, change their mind about God and come home because they realize he's not waiting to drop the hammer. He's waiting to throw a party. In Luke 15, Jesus says, I tell you, it's the truth. There's more rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God in heaven over one sinner who repents Notice the word joy. When a lost child comes home, this is what the father feels. Deep and authentic joy. And that's hard for us to get our heads around, right? Because a lot of times we associate God with wrath and anger and punishment. But Jesus told this story to kind of wake us up to the scandal of grace. You know what grace is? It's not mercy. Mercy is when you do something bad and they say, I forgive you. But you're going to have to pay it back. Justice. Grace is the opposite. Grace is God's radical love and forgiveness in the wake of wrongdoing. God gives you something you don't even deserve because it's not about your sin. It's about his generosity. Guys, this is the gospel. This is the good news that people in their sin and shame, God the Father says, child, come home. Although you've run far from me, I haven't moved from you. 
I've been scanning the horizon waiting for you to come back so I can redeem your life. I can forgive you. I can restore you. I can give you hope. I can give you a future. Second, third, fourth chance. I'm a God of infinite chances. Amen? That's the gospel that God is for you. He's not against you. He loves broken people. And it's why he sent his son Jesus. Because on the cross, the father did pour out his punishment on Jesus. That was your punishment for your sins. And you can be forgiven and then you get his righteousness. You actually get his good life credited to your account. And you can become a son or daughter of God adopted in the family. That's the scandal of grace. None of us get what we deserve. God's grace is greater than your deepest sin. That is your father's heart. Amen? Amen. If you come home to that, that moves from your head to your heart, 18 inches, it will change your life. Just ask Michelle and Kyle, two young adults who came to Liquid earlier this year. They were actually living together at the time, had given up on church, but they were thirsty to experience the grace of God. And so a friend invited them to church, and they heard the invitation to, to dive deeper, to actually repent, change their mind and change their direction and follow Christ. And with the support of their amazing small group, Kyle and Michelle made a radical decision that changed everything. This is their story. I am from Colombia. I first heard about Liquid through Kyle. He actually brought me one Sunday. We started coming to Liquid on a normal basis since January. So I actually went up to Liquid Family, the little table that they have, and asked to join and serve. During that time, I was unable to serve due to the fact that Kyle and I were living together. Um, but she did get me plugged in with other teams because she didn't want to discourage me. So I was told about Parents Night Out and we got plugged in right away a few weeks after after I started going to small group, the conversation came up of it's not advice to live with your significant other and I brought up the fact that I couldn't be uh, part of Liquid Family and how that was really upsetting to me and I feel like after that conversation, explanations and support, I felt like convicted, like God was telling me like, you know, this is something that I've been putting in your heart, uh, I feel like you should move out, this is what I'm calling you to do and I got home that night and I woke Kyle up and I was like, I'm moving out! At first it, it was difficult. Um... And, you know, there's always challenges, but the Lord is, has been there with every, every step of the way. After deciding to move out, I feel like I felt that peace and I was like, okay, let me sign myself up to be baptized because that's what I wanted anyways. I just didn't feel like I could go there because of this guilt and shame of not following what the Lord was asking me to do. Now that I proclaim my faith in the Lord, I know I'm doing the right thing. I know He's there for me. I know that the Lord uh, wants to be with me, um, and that's amazing in itself. We got baptized together, and that was an amazing experience. Not only was the baptism like declaring our love and our life to God in front of people was an amazing experience. Small group being there. Our small group made a little TP'd thing over us as we walked down and they got us cake and they got us presents and they loved us to just encourage us and be there and make this a very memorable experience which I don't think either of us will ever forget. Nope. After getting baptized, I was able to finally join the Liquid Family and I am just so happy about it and I am now a buddy through Liquid Family. I serve on the media team, whether it's behind the camera lens or I'm directing to switching. The way I proclaim my faith in the Lord and I'm able to share it with people um, is through the media team. I decided to move out and that was a scary but he provided a home. I had a health scare but he provided healing for me. It takes courage to live for Christ in our world but it's totally worth it. It is worth it because he is amazing, he loves us and he shows us in our lives each and every day the healing the love the care the support the freedom and I, I just love him for it it's just so refreshing for us every day we, we wake up praising the Lord every every night we go to bed thanking the Lord it's rewarding to, to, to be loved by him six years from now we wouldn't see ourselves here and now at this moment I wouldn't see myself anywhere else I'm excited for the next six years yeah. so. We thank Kyle and Michelle. There's a party in heaven when one person comes home to the Father's love. I love this story because, I mean, come on, guys. Let, let's just be honest. I mean, you know, millennials who are living and in a culture that says everything, you know, whatever, all bets are off. There's, God has no standards, no anything. 
they actually opened up their heart to receive the truth of God's word. And because of the grace, the love of their small group, they made a radical counterculture decision to move out and pursue sexual integrity because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Guys, that's how you grow deeper. You open your heart to the truth of God. His grace comes in, softens it. You repent, and it changes your whole life. Michelle and Kyle are not lost. They are found, and let me tell you, they are on fire for Christ. I think millennials are going to change the world, honestly. I'm very bullish about this. Make some noise if you believe that. I do believe that. See, a lot of people, you know, they think, oh, you know, I get it, liquid church, water down the gospel. It's just the opposite. We're finding when we raise the bar, it resonates with spiritually thirsty people because they see the dazzling person of Jesus and the grace touches their heart. There's not politics. It's not just moralism. This is the key to our secret sauce. Spiritually thirsty people are the VIPs in the Father's house. Very important people. There's no one more important than men and women who are returning home to the Father's love. Amen? And don't forget, that was you. That was you at one point. That is the heart of our house, to welcome them home to the forgiveness and love of the Father. You know, just like Jesus describes here in Luke 15, and I realize maybe this is strange for some of you, especially if you're like me. If you grew up in a traditional kind of religious, traditional or conservative environment. You know, in the book I talk about my childhood church, you know, 125 people or so, and, you know, it was a little bit of a, kind of a little bit of a holy huddle, okay? Where it was kind of like, hey, hey, this is our church. This is the, we're the chosen ones. And the rest of the world's going to hell, so we better pull up the drawbridge, okay? Because while the world, and hopefully, maybe one of them will find Jesus. And then if they pass our test, we'll put down the drawbridge, and they can walk across, join us, and put it back up, okay? But that's it, okay? They get to join the club. But Jesus flips that. Do you notice in Luke 15, the son doesn't even reach the house. The father goes out to get him. Verse 20 says, he ran to his son. Did he walk to his son? Walk, stroll, jog, what'd he do? He ran. This is when the audience was said, no way this story would never happen. So you don't know, because you're not in the first century. In first century culture, Middle Eastern patriarchs who were like respectable men, ran a respectable business, had a great family, you never ran, because you had a long robe. So you walked dignified and stately like this. He sees his son, and he's like, here he comes. He's in the driveway. JP, there he is. And he starts running. He's like, oh, but I got a skirt, you know, I got a, a tunic on. He would have had to hike up his skirt. And you would see his what? His legs. How many know it's shameful to see a man's legs? In the first century, it was like a scandal. Some of you still is. <laughs> Just think twice about that. You get the picture? Jesus is like, he sees the lost boy. And the father lifts up his skirt. He's like, come here. And people would be like, the whole village would be like, no way. This father's more of a fool than the son. But why does he have to get to the boy before anyone else does? Because he knew the Old Testament law. That if a boy or girl brought shame to their family, dishonored their father and mother publicly, the whole village was to meet them at the city gate and stone them. You understand what stone means? Not this stone. Stone them. In other words, the father's like, I better get to my boy before the village gets to him. So the father actually says, I'm going to take the shame on me. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him, covering his boy. He's like, if you're going to kill him, you're going to have to kill me first. And it's a beautiful picture of grace, of what Jesus did on the cross, saying, I'm going to take your sin, I'm going to take your shame, and I'm going to cover you with the father's love. The most famous painting of this story is by Rembrandt. It's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And 1669, it's an oil painting by the Dutch master. I like art. Look at the father here. You can see the prodigal son right on his knees there. He's, he's got holes in his clothes. He's missing his, his, his no shoes, right? He's got a shaved head because he probably had lice. Stinks like the, the pig pen there. But you see the father kind of hunched over, like covering him. And he has both hands stretched out embracing him and welcoming him while this crew in the shadows looks on. And verse 22 tells us what the father said. He said, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. How many of you know that when you become a Christian, God doesn't just forgive your sin. He clothes you in a robe of righteousness. 
So in other words, God sees you not as if you never sinned. More than that, he treats you as if you always obeyed because he credits Jesus' righteousness to your account. He says, put a robe around him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. A ring was a sign of the father's authority. He's basically saying, this isn't my servant. He can't pay me back. This boy is my son because I'm a generous God. We want prodigals to feel like they're family at Liquid, that you belong in the father's house. So if you see new people, by the way, go out of your way to welcome them, okay? Because it's intimidating, man. You come to the house of God, you introduce, you sit next to a new person, take them out for coffee. You know why? Because you were once that person. There was a moment when God found you and all the jacked up stuff in your life, and you're like, he could never forgive me. His, I failed too much. And the patience and the grace that he showed towards you. Guys, there's, there's nothing more important in our church than helping prodigals come home to the Father. So if I could just speak to some parents right now who have some prodigal kids. I know I, 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 there's nothing more painful And when you see your child turn their back on their family and walk away from God, there's nothing more painful. But I think Jesus tells a story to tell you, never, never give up hope. Never stop praying. If they're not dead, God's not done. They never will run too far that they can outrun his grip of grace. Don't give up hope. Let us pray for you. We'll pray with you. We will do anything short of sin to bring people home to Christ. This is a church for prodigals, for those who've blown it and need grace. But watch this. It's also a church for older believers who've lost touch with grace, who maybe grew up in a kind of a traditional religion where you've heard this story a thousand times. In fact, a few minutes ago, you're like, oh, you know, I, I get it. You know, how much longer is this? I think Jesus has something to say to you. See, there's, look at the painting. There's two brothers in Jesus' story. You see the prodigal on his knees in repentance. You see this guy over here? Who's that? That's the older brother. There's two sons in Jesus' story. And this guy is not pleased. This guy's getting the party, and his father's hands are out and embracing and forgiving and loving. But look at this. I, I kind of I like art history. Rembrandt was known as a master of light, and you see he lights up their faces. Look at this. Put up on the side screen. Look at his face. He's literally looking down on his nose on his brother, and his hands are folded. And he's like, this party isn't fun at all. (laughs) I think this is a scandal. Krispy Kreme's in the house of God. (laughs) Ridiculous. Everybody else is inside partying, and verse 25 says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard what? Music and dancing. Is that party rock anthem in there? So he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on in here? What, 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 what is this? What is this all? What is this? Who paid for this? There you go, bro. <laughs> and this is the greatest. The servant says, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Bro, you want Krispy Kreme? You want? You're like, oh. He's like, get that box out of my hand. Watch. The older brother became, what's the word, church? Angry and refused to go in. So his father went out. Here we go, God, again, going out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father. You want to talk disrespect? Look, he says to God, all these years I've been what? Slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders. You you never even gave me a young goat so I could feed or celebrate with my friends. But when this, this son of yours, notice he doesn't say this brother of mine, he says this son of yours, (laughs) who has squandered your property with prostitutes, remember that, Dad? He comes home. You killed the cow for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we, we had to celebrate and be glad. This brother of yours was what? Dead. He's alive again. He was spiritually lost. 
And he came home. And this is where the story ends. With the world-class sinner inside the party, enjoying his father's grace, and the rule keeper outside with his arms crossed, refusing to go in. What's the final twist of Jesus' story? The one who spent his whole life at church, living in the father's house, completely missed the father's heart. His brother got grace, and he got self-righteous religion. He thought, I can earn my way into the kingdom by keeping the rules. All these years, I've been slaving for you. I've been volunteering on weekends. I've been tithing. I've been reading my Bible. That's how religious people think. And if you're not careful, you can get infected by this. You think that God loves you more based on your performance. That's how most Americans think. You're going to go to heaven. They say, well, I think, I've been, I think my good outweighs my bad. I'm a good person. You know, I read my Bible. I tithe. I avoid Vegas. I judge people who go there. This is why older Christians sometimes struggle to have a heart for spiritually thirsty people because they're messy. They see him in the father's house and they're like, can you believe what she's wearing? I saw him smoking in the parking lot. It's tragic because somewhere along the way, as they sat and soaked in the pew year after year, they lost touch with grace and took on this toxic religious spirit of self-righteousness that thinks you can earn your way to God. But that's the point of Jesus' story. Grace isn't earned. It can only be received as a gift from God. It's a gift. It's not about your performance. It's about his generosity, his grace. The gospel is this. You are more sinful and flawed in your humanity than you ever dared believe at the very same time. You are more loved and accepted in Christ than you ever dared hope. This story should be renamed, not the prodigal son, the prodigal father, because he, God wastes his love on people like us who bring him shame and heartache, and he gives us a robe, a ring, a party, the riches of heaven. So can I just speak for a minute to the older Christians? You've been walking with God for, for years, maybe decades, and, and, and you've been in church a long time and, and kept the rules. That's awesome. But can I just remind you, you don't earn anything with God. You don't get extra stars for perfect attendance. Listen to how he pleads with the older boy. He says, my son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad because what? This brother of yours, not son of mine, he's your brother. And you got to reconcile too. He was dead, he's alive, lost, he's found. Do you have a heart like that, like the father? Because if you just sit and soak here, and you don't share God's heart for spiritually thirsty people, you will have missed it. The Father says, I want to lead them home through you. My dream is that Lick would be a place for prodigals and for older brothers too. For those who are coming back from Vegas and those who are recovering from works-based religion. So here's my question to close. I'll close how Jesus did. He ends the story there and basically points and he says, you choose. Which of these brothers do you identify with most? Which one? You got to choose one of them. How many of you would you, you'd read, identify with the prodigal? Like, man, I've met you. You're like, I'm not raising my hand, man. Now I'm worried there's older brothers who are going to judge me. Okay. <laughs> How many of you identify with the older brother? Maybe stands a little bit at a distance with his arm crossed. Okay. Guys, don't be the older brother and miss the party. Don't miss the party. Don't be judgmental and self-righteous and far from the father's heart. Recover God's heart. And if you're here today and you identify with the prodigal son, Maybe you're here and you made some mistakes. You messed up your life. You feel far. You're carrying shame and guilt. Oh, guys, today's the day. Come home to grace. Come home to the Father. He misses you. Your dad misses you. We sing in the Father's house, there's a place for me. There's a place for you here. All you have to do is ask the Father for it. You may be living in the pig pen, but God will give you a robe of righteousness. All you have to do is change your mind about who he is and turn towards him. You can, have, you can leave here having your past forgiven, your sins wiped clean. He'll give you a purpose for living now. Sins forgiven, a purpose for living, and he'll guarantee you a home in heaven. There'll be a party in heaven this morning if you come home. If that's you, I want to lead you in a simple prayer of salvation. You don't, you don't have to rehearse a speech I think you see from Jesus' story. It just has to be from the heart. What's it mean to be saved? What's it mean to become a Christian? 
It's taking three steps deeper towards God. A is admit your sin. You know what that means? Just tell God what he already knows about you. B, believe in Jesus. That on the cross, when Jesus was nailed there, was God saying, I love you this much. I'm going to put the punishment on my son, and Jesus is going to pay, and you're going to get his righteousness. He's going to be your savior. And C is come home. Come home to the Father. Say, Father, I want to be in your family. That's how you have your past forgiven. That's how you have purpose for living. That's how you have a home in heaven. And he's inviting you right now to receive salvation. So let's bow our heads right now for prayer, all our campuses. Would you just bow your heads wherever you are? Holy moment between you and God. Our eyes are closed and we're praying. Father, I know right now there are people who are going to come home to you. There's going to be a party in heaven because they're receiving Jesus Christ as their one and only Savior. Again, we're just praying. Our heads are bowed. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Just raise your hand and say, God, I need your forgiveness. Praise God for you. Praise God over here. Three people over here. Two in the back. Praise God. Just raise it right high. You don't have to be ashamed. You're in the Father's house. There is no condemnation for you. Praise God. Over here, dozens of people giving their lives to Christ. Awesome. Let's pray together. I want to pray first for the older brothers. If you're the older brother, say, God, forgive me. Forgive me of my self-righteous spirit. I want to share your Father's heart. And Father, for those of us who are raising our hands, we've drifted far from you, but you haven't left us. So let's pray these words out loud, church, everyone together. Just say these words. Dear Father, today I'm coming home. Forgive me. I turn from my sin. Jesus, I trust in you. I believe you died for me. Forgive my sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to live for you. Father, I pray right now that those who the Son has set free, they will be free indeed. Today, walking home, no guilt, no shame, but full of grace and loved and accepted perfectly in Christ. We give you glory for it, Father. We join the angels right now in the party in heaven. And everyone said together, amen. Church, make some noise for new believers. Welcome to the family of God.